All right, and we are back for another episode of Kuzzlewop. I'm so excited to be here tonight. My name is Isaiah, and I'll be the host for this evening's conversation as we jump into movies. Of course, I can't go into the topic without stopping and introducing my co-host, my brother. Willie, a.k.a. Arrow. And we're excited to be here because tonight we're going to dive into a movie that is taking the world by storm, a little animated film by the name of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Willie, it is finally time for us to talk. Uh, let's give them the context. I saw this the Thursday it dropped in theaters. I saw it the night of. Uh, Willie saw it the following Sunday. That's Sunday, right? Yes, sir. Sunday morning. So it was only two days apart, three days apart from one another. But I had to keep all my thoughts to myself. And we haven't said anything about the film outside of we know that we both enjoyed it. We enjoyed the film. Yeah, man. The only thing that was said was you coming out of your theater saying what they did compared to the last one was impressive. And what I said to you was, I can't wait to have this talk. And so we hope that you guys have had enough time to go and watch the movie yourselves. Isaiah, have, have you seen this movie? Again? I did. Two times. Two times. Had to. The first time I was in awe. Second time I went in with an analytical eye. I've managed to see the movie three times. So I'm ready for this talk. Three times for Willie to see something. He's still he's still trying to catch up on a ton of other movies. But he's seen this one three times. That's a big deal. All right, man. Listen, all that being said, this is a full spoiler episode of Kuzawap. So please go watch this movie. It's highly recommended. You know, my father and siblings went to go watch this movie. And when they came out, they were all texting me about how great it was. Like, even for my father to be messaging me after going to a theater to watch a movie to talk about how great it is, that meant something crazy to me. It was like, wow. Okay, so this is one of those movies. Yeah, bro. It gripped them by the throat. My dad and my brother saw it. They both said 10 out of 10. It's like almost a perfect movie, if anything. Um, and and I, I agree. I agree. I don't think, I don't think we're going to jump in, man. I don't want to miss any pieces of what's special to you. Um, so what we'll do is just bounce back and forth on points. Um, here's the first thing I want to start off with, bro. The family dynamic in this movie. I love, I love that the family dynamic of this movie, it had the room to be as deep and as much on screen time and development as it had because of the investment of the first film. And I think that's what a sequel should be. A sequel should be a maximization on everything you've invested and built in the first movie. And I think that's how you make first movies and sequels really complement one another. They got that so well when it comes to Across the Spider-Verse. Miles's tension as Spider-Man underneath the mask talking to his dad, that scene is one of the most brilliant scenes between two characters in a superhero uh kind of like i'd say in the superhero media world that i'm gonna remember bro i think it was really special the way that they talk to each other um and that's when i knew i was a sucker for the film i was like it doesn't matter what this guy goes on an adventure for to have these moments with his family set everything up it was just really smart I love the family dynamic. Yeah, man. The, the family movie. dynamic in this movie was my favorite part. Like, I'm just going to say it now. The first hour and 18 minutes of this film, I prefer over the last half. It got me, man. You touched on Miles' conversation with his pops. So I'm going to dive into his conversations with his mom, right? 
Yo, they was eating that conversation up on the water tower. She was like, you're my boy. I'm going to protect you. I'm always going to love you. Stuff like that, right? These are conversations that I, me at 23, I know I've had with my mother, right? I'm sure you've had that conversation with yours too. These are very real conversations. And I'm glad that it can be showcased to people like my sister who's 13, like your brother who is 12, like my brother who is nine. They get to see that these conversations happen, that they're real, especially in our culture, right? But then I also love little scenes where it's like they're in the guidance counselor's office and Miles is like getting a B in Spanish and the mom snaps at him and a snap is the Puerto Rico flag. Like, man. That's so tough. That was dope. But like, when it comes to family, we could even look at Gwen Stacy, bro. Like, this is her movie as much as it is Miles. Like, the movie starts and ends with her narrating the film and narrating what's going on. And there's something I got to say about the animation entirely, but in Gwen's world. Man, tell me it wasn't just freaking stunning, bro. So crazy. The water pastel look of the world and the way it would just change based on the mood of the scene was perfect. You know, like... The scene in Gwen's bedroom when everything is just so blue and gloomy because that's how she feels inside. And her dad is standing there and he's lit up by the yellow background, right? Like, hey, talk to me, come to me so that you can be here with me. And when he kind of says that, she just snaps across the room and hugs him. And then the whole room begins to be bright pink and vibrant. And it's like, Sometimes maybe you just need that hug. Yeah. Sometimes you just need someone to say, hey, I'm here for you. And it's just, oof, they ate that up in the animation department. Shout out to them. I think you're talking on two points with the Miles, the snap, and then the world uh, from, Gwen, from Gwen Stacy's world. Um, art being used as dialogue. They use it as another way to get the story across as another medium and not just in the sense of how it looks, but what it does, what it serves as. Hey man, you know, there's intentionality there. We saw that in the first movie with the swinging, right? All of the Spider-Men in that movie were animated at 24 frames per second besides Miles because he was new. He was animated at 12 frames per second. But then as the movie goes on, he Goes to 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, all the way up to 24 when he masters it. And it's genius. And so in this movie, another example of that is the character of Hobie, a.k.a. Spider-Punk. You know, all the characters are either animated at one frame per second or two frames per second. But in the entire movie, what do we hear him say? I don't follow consistency. Yeah, I don't believe so in consistency. Him, he's a character animated at three frames per second. Because he don't follow the rules of the other Spider-Man. That's And sick. like, there's that dialogue in the animation alone. Like, and even if we don't know that while watching the film, our minds might unconsciously realize that. So it's genius. They took five years on this film for a reason. Animation is on another level. The first movie, it was beautiful. It was different. It was innovative. This movie, it, I think it bested the first in every way animation-wise. I think that they're two very different movies, but the maturity that was expressed through the way that this art was delivered, it just, again, like we said, it's another point of dialogue. Uh, Miles isn't the same Miles he was in the former movie. He's older. You see it in him the most when he's, when they're at the top at the end of the chase and he says he's going to do his own thing. He says, see you soon, Gwen, or bye, Gwen. Then when he's standing there like that, you're like, 
yo, he's that guy. Yeah, you can see the year and four month difference between the first movie and this one in his character. And you just you see him go from a scrawny swinging at 12 frames per, per second uh, Spidey to this is a full grown he, like hero. He knows who he wants to be almost like he sees clearer than ever, which is another point that we got to jump into. But when it comes to the concept of animation, they just express all of these notions uh, with the way that powers were refined. Their decision to flip the city upside down when she walks off the ledge like that, there's, there's just small decisions they made animation-wise that I think it bests the first movie. That's just my take. Um, and I think it should. I think they learned how to get the kinks out of their process and you can see it. There's a lot more, even more advantageous animation attempts like Hobie. And it's like, y'all must know what you can and can't do. You're going. And you're and you're treating this with love too. You know, it's something that took five years and you didn't rush it. You delayed it a couple of times. Yeah, man. It, it took them a while for a reason. Now, before we go further away from the beginning, listen, I got to talk Gwen Stacy, my favorite character in this movie. Whenever she was on screen, I was tuned in. The scene when she's on the train walking through all of the civilians as Gwen and then it flashes to her as Spider-Woman and then back to Gwen was amazing because it showcases that she's Spider-Woman trapped around all these civilians and not just Gwen. But then she's also speaking about Miles in that scene. And she's like, I had a friend once and I lost him and I made another one. And the animation shows Miles in the reflection of the window. I saw that. I saw that. Yeah, that was a crazy scene. Yeah. And then, you know, the scene just goes right into her origin that she spoke about in the last movie. And, you know, it was animated beautifully as well. And the freaking soundtrack of this film, number one, is Immaculate. And during this scene, it was self-love in the back of the freaking narration. And that's my favorite song. And the scene was just enhanced by it. And like, man, I got to go through the scene by scene breakdown of these songs while we doing this episode trust but to just jump forward when we get to the museum dude and the vulture comes through and he's animated in a different style and it just still looks merged so well it's genius and then you know you got Gwen and her father coming face to face and that inner turmoil in him beginning was great and then that conflict within her was great and so like yeah Gwen Great. She's great. Favorite character in a movie. I agree, bro. I just think character development was really sharp in this one, man. They just, they, they were intentional about each character. And I always, I'm always in awe of how writers can map out the character development of several characters and have them all happen at the same time. And they each get their own light. I've always been impressed by that. Um, and so I think Miles on the other end has such a great level of development. He's probably my favorite character, of course, from the movie. Um, because I love who he's become. We see a we see a Miles that doesn't see how beautiful the thing in front of him is because he feels the pressures of this and he has his own strifes in that. When it comes to his own family, he's unable to show up for them. But, but throughout the, the course of the movie, not only is he proven wrong, he's proven wrong in so many ways. And I love that his humility emerges on the other end of his disappointment, not him becoming this like dark character. But then we still got to talk about the depiction of dark character and how he could go the dark route and the way we see in the Prowler. But back to what I was saying when it comes to Miles' development, I love that he was looking for a family. He thought that he could find a family in these people. 
And it's that very family that does him slime. Um, the, even the friends that he knew he really wanted to get back with, he was always imagining, oh, I want to be back with those people and not where I am right now, not living in the present. When he finally got those people, those were the same people who set him up to be where he was at. Even to the point where it feels like he might have pushed back his artistic visionary stuff to focus more on physics, to even think that one day he can create something that will let him find them again. So like I said earlier, that end where he says, nah, I'm going to do my own thing. It hit for me in so many ways as like a young person and the fact that the older generation always wants it to look a specific way um, as a person who just knows what it's like to feel like the only one that's feeling like they're doing the right thing. It's like, that's what everyone's talking about on Twitter. It's like, there's no way there's not one single Spider-Man in that whole universe that doesn't think what Miguel's doing is wrong. And, and I, I like the way that they created these concepts because you keep bouncing back and forth like, yeah, maybe it shouldn't have gone like that. No, but it needed to go like that because, and you just know, that's why people want to know, hey, how was the movie when you first get out? They're telling their friends to go see it. It's because there's this, there's this thing in it that's just so alive. And I think you can't do that well without having a protagonist at the forefront of the story as a whole go through such intense change and really have a coming of age moment. It's just smart, smart. You know, and man, listen, since you touched on doing your own thing, right? People will not understand sometimes what your own thing is. As long as you know that you got to do it for yourself, bro, you just got to do it. That's something that I feel like we learn in our culture, like, the older generation may not understand our thing, but that's okay because they did their thing and we don't got to walk that walk. We got to walk our own walk. But one character I do want to touch on here is the spot, bro, because people call him underwhelming. And I feel like, nah, he wasn't. And you know what? Just you wait because you're going to be feeling nah, different from the next movie. Nah, I actually got chills and was like gripped by that scene where he's like, see you soon. Um, facts, but that was well, him a little bit later towards like his, his peak, you know what I'm saying? He had, but I'm just saying in terms of, if we're going to talk about the journey, I love that they took an ordinary character who feels overlooked and they made Miles fight someone like that because he feels overlooked in a variety of ways. So now there's this connection that we talked about when we spoke about DCEU and how the hero and the villain, they're supposed to have this tether to one another. That's what makes a movie, you know, insane. So it's like, if you're willing to know, you're like, okay, this could be a thing. And then you're realizing that it's actually super meta because he's telling him, I am a threat to you. Like I, me and you, we're going to tangle. You're not taking me seriously, but I'm really on the same level as you. Meanwhile, Miles is like, why doesn't Gwen and them take me seriously? Miguel, will you take me seriously? Will you accept me? Will you allow me to be the Spider-Man in this cool universe? The way that they tie it together development-wise is smart. So then when they collide, no pun intended, at the Super Collider, and he goes dark mode in his hotel bar, yo, bro, spot going dark and looking at him and telling him and showing him what he's going to do to him before he even does it, bro, they cooked. They cooked. Spot's going to go crazy. He's going to go crazy. Yeah, man. You know, they cooked. They cooked. And um, we're going to be here next year so we could talk about his character even more, bro. But like... We got to talk about Miguel O'Hara because Twitter's calling him the best antagonist since Thanos. Meanwhile, I feel like he was like a bumper antagonist, bro. Like, 
a bumper in the road to stop Miles, but like I'm more focused on the spot. He seems like the big baddie, you know what I'm saying? I agree. I think Miguel was cool, and I I think I mean you have Oscar Isaac coming to play Miguel. Oscar Isaac has made his face and presence known four different ways in Marvel. So to me, it's like I I I'm gonna listen to what you have to say because you're Oscar Isaac. And I think one piece that I was a little iffy about was I felt like we needed a little bit more of an understanding of why he did he does what he does. Like I know they gave a little glimpse, but I heard that there was footage that they didn't add to the movie where they created a whole concept of why Miguel is as hurt as he is. And I think if they could have tied that writing into something that ties to Miles or ties to Spa or ties into the development of these characters as Spider-Man, I think it would have been a little bit more cohesive. But because of that, he is just a bump on the road for miles. Hey, man, you know, before you continue, you know, remember, this is a part one. So there's a chance that they could drop all that that you want next year in the next movie. And maybe it forces us to understand why maybe he'll then help miles. So how would you feel if they do something like that? Like, what does that look like for you? That would work. It would work because then what Miguel's point is as a character is to just unmask the truth for Miles. Unmask the truth that every Spider-Man must realize. With great power comes great responsibility. And it's a lonely responsibility that lives at the core of all these Spider-Men. So what's funny is Miguel is telling Miles that he's an outlier, that he doesn't know about this life, that he's not supposed to be here. But the very nature of him interceding in Miles's life and being a threat to him is actually proving he's a Spider-Man the whole time. You're my you're my antagonist. Everyone thinks is the best antagonist in the film. You're you're my bad you're my bad guy proving that I am alone, that I carry this burden and this weight on my own. So then I love what they ushered to tape that point off if that's the case. I I think you could have that theory correct because when we see two sides of Miles now as well, one that's a dark mode of him from the version of uh, 42 and this I also just find it funny that it's Miguel telling him all this, right? Because the dude is a vampire in a suit. He don't got the sticky fingers because he uses the suit. He don't got the webs because he uses, like, the the electronic. You know, it's a little different web. Sure, whatever. He don't got the spidey sense because we saw him get snuck up on earlier in the movie. So, like, bro, what do you got that makes you (laughs) Spider-Man? Like, you know, it's it's just a fun time. But, like, something that I've seen online is people complaining that they don't believe that all of those spider Men would be helping Miguel. And, you know, I think on one hand, I think it's very possible that everybody there are people that he gathered specifically because they would agree with him because we saw him try to turn away Gwen, maybe because she had that little inner turmoil, which I'm going to get into that I believe she did always have. But, like, on the other hand, I definitely saw some Spider-Man that I was upset that I saw them there, like Insomniac's Spider-Man. Right. I don't know how this affects the canon or if it's just going to be ignored, but like he has a miles of his own. I can't see him being there and agreeing with Miguel. But like fun fact, animation wise, like the Insomniac Spider-Man was animated at 60 FPS because he is in a video game. That's kind of cool. But yeah, I don't know if I can agree with him actually being there with Miguel and siding with Miguel to chase Miles down. Absolutely. I understand that. Yeah, and so, like, I can see why other people might say that they feel like some of those characters shouldn't have been there. 
I just started watching Spectacular Spider-Man. I can't speak about him, but like back to the character of Gwen, I feel like she was always going to end up helping Miles. You know, I think Miguel might just be taking people during their broken states and saying like, here's a place for you, you know, and that's why I like the character of Hobie, right? Because he was never really on Miguel's side. I think he was just waiting around until someone came through to light the powder keg. He was waiting for that Miles. And he knew that Gwen was always going to turn also. Because even when she's showing Miles the entire place, Hobie's stealing the supplies that he will then later use to make a watch for Gwen to help Miles. Like, come on, bro. 100%. And you know it's already foresight. Character development foresight. Like, do you see how threaded it is? It's tight. It's tight, bro. These characters are crazy. They did their thing in this freaking flick, bro. They did eat, bro. You know, one character I want to talk about is Peter B. Parker because he is proof that canon can be broken and Miguel wasn't chasing after him, right? Miles, being the anomaly he is, changed Peter B.'s life forever. He has a wife. He has a daughter, right? And he was trying to tell Miles this. He was trying to say, like, look, it's possible, Miles. Just just wait a moment. And then Miguel did him dirty. Dirty boy. And, you know, Miles had to run away. But, like, I hope Miles sees that in the next movie. And, like, even in Gwen's character with her unmasked moment with her father, and he's like, I quit the force. Like, I think that's when she realizes, like, oh, shit. Canon can be broken, bro. My canon event just changed because of this entire situation. I just think it's so cool to see these characters have that unmasked moment. It's like a second crisis. You know, it's a second crisis moment. The crisis moment that they were all saying has to happen in people's lives. They're realizing that there's more than just that one moment that makes them who they are, like you said. Um, and makes makes them Spider-Man, make, makes them Spider-Woman, makes them the hero that's willing to step up and step into the unknown and embrace it for what it is. Um, that in itself is its own responsibility. So I, I, I like I like how they wrote the crap out of that and how it lives in everything. Yo, bro, let's talk about soundtrack because I think soundtrack, bro, when it comes to the concept of the first project being legendary, the soundtrack for the Into the Spider-Verse movie had a couple bangers on there that are still in gym playlists to this day. What's up, Danger? My daughter likes Sunflower. She likes Sunflower. Who doesn't like Sunflower? Posty went crazy on hey that. Hey, man, look, I personally believe that Sunflower does a lot of carrying on that album. You know, I listen to a few songs, but I think... I don't know. I think there's a lot of uh, overratedness a little bit there. Maybe a little bit, though. But, you know, Sunflower did that carrying, though. When it came out, it was very fresh at that time in 2018. So I'm just saying it set the tone and it set the bar up. I think that this soundtrack for Across the Spider-Verse is a better soundtrack all in all. I think it's just... Metro Boomin came and curated the crap out of this project. These studios, they win when they bring in producers, they bring in artists to help curate, to sometimes create an album that kind of looks like or feels like the soundtrack to the to the movie like Kendrick did with Black Panther, right? We've got a couple songs from that album that are actually in the soundtrack. But 
it was a representation of the world musically. Beyonce with Lion King's album very much appreciated that album and the sound that it brought to the world of Lion King, even though that movie was doo-doo. I feel like Metro Boomin came in and curated a certain vibe that matched the tone of this movie so well. And that's why we can't stop listening to it. It's the same way we can't stop watching it. I'm just being honest. I also prefer this album over the first film. I just personally feel like this movie incorporates the songs off the soundtrack better than the first movie did. You know, I didn't really feel like the first movie did it all that well. And something about this movie is that the album enhances the film and the film enhances the album. Like it works both ways, which is glorious. The first film, I only really feel like the film helped the album out in the area of the Prowler theme playing at the beginning of What's Up Danger. You know what I'm saying? But for this, like one scene that comes to mind immediately is when Miles puts his headphones on, he lays in his bed right before Gwen shows up and Hummingbird comes through and the whole room has everything beginning to lift. And I feel like the song is lifting me up also with everything in the room. Like that was genius, bro. Now, for sure, bro, it's definitely becoming a piece of the trilogy. And I bet you money that we'll see the conclusion of the third uh, or the, the beyond the Spider-Verse with him listening to headphones at the tail end of the movie. Bet you money. Bet I you would money. probably agree with you. Uh, the next scene I want to talk about is the swinging scene with Gwen and Miles because, hello, that was just beautiful. Might be my favorite scene in the movie or the next scene, but to have Mona Lisa on the backdrop while they swinging, it just feels like a vibe, dude. It's a vibe that I cannot explain. And I love that it came right after the last soundtrack scene. It was majestic, bro. Like I said earlier, the whole walking upside down, seeing the city flip, seeing the world a different way, but knowing that both of them can see it like that. And that's what makes them feel less alone. Yeah. You know, and since you're starting to talk about that scene, you know, the scene with them on a clock tower and they're just talking to each other and she walks off the side and everything flips. Bro, they had another dimension playing on the background of that. And even that is just so fire. My God, bro. It's just so good. And, you you know, you think about it, you got three banger soundtrack scenes back to back to back. It's just so good. I think the another dimension scene with them upside down is my favorite scene of the entire movie, bro. Absolutely. No, that makes sense. Bro, even the credits of the movie used a soundtrack song in such a way that will forever be locked in my mind as an end movie experience. Like, Am I Dreaming being that final song that I hear was glorious. It reminded me of walking out of Black Panther after hearing all the stars. Like, come on now. Yeah, man. I think at the end of the day, Metro Metro Boomin knew what he was doing and how to complement these scenes and everyone else involved with timing, editing. They just, everything was to a T on the soundtrack, man. It, again, the first film had that, but didn't have it to the degree of like, let's couple scenes with music. So it's, again, the animation and the creativity, it overflows into every aspect of the movie, whether it's the way it's written, the way the development's done, the way the animation's done, the way the music sounds, the art styles. Let's talk about art styles, man. You said it earlier with When Stacy's World, the art in this freaking film, bro, just spots dynamic. Just spots dynamic, bro. Uh, the art is what made that scene scary. It's the way it's portrayed. It looks like 
abstract, chaotically abstract, you know, and it's just really dope that they're able to do this and set the tone for animation, man. This is a, a movie going blow for blow with some big blockbusters and it's just an animated film. Do you know how crazy that continues to be? Um, we have what honestly is shaping up to be one of the best trilogies. If Beyond the Spider-Verse sticks the landing, this will, in my head, be the greatest superhero trilogy of all time. No doubt about it. Nothing beats it right now. Not not only that, bro, I would argue it's it's a trilogy to across genres. You know what I mean? Um it's just really good writing. You know, it's like the same way we talk about Batman and Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises and Batman Begins. Like, this is a staple and and it's an insane staple. Um, So, you know, as we're wrapping up our talk here, let's talk about how the movie wrapped itself up. Um, I I like this notion of I'm going to do my own thing and I love the 42 and I also love the way they tied the seeds that were planted for this back and in, into the Spider-Verse with the Spidey sends purple to to and green to red and blue that happens when he sees Peter. I'm excited to see what's going on with this Prowler introduction. We get to this scene where we think he's on his way back to his home and he realizes he got sent to the wrong dimension because he got sent to the dimension that the spider came from. And in this world, his dad is dead because he did become captain. His crisis moment did happen. And when he thinks he's going to see his uncle as the prowler and he's tied up to the, the punching bag, just like a Spider-Man was tied up to a punching bag and into the spider Like you said, man, there's a lot to unpack there. Like I noticed earlier in the movie that he had the red and blue jacket on. But then when he got here, it was green and purple. And I thought that was weird, right? And then, you know, something else to think about is the fact that this new Miles that we see that is the Prowler seems to be a little bit more in tune with his Spanish side because there's a chance he was basically just raised by his mom. Like What happens is the beginning of the movie sets up that dynamic too because we see Miles, the Afro-Latino, fail his Spanish... And yet we hear an accent in this Miles from World 42 because his mom has been the one that's been with him while his dad is gone. So she's his main influence. It makes sense that they're speaking Spanish with one another and that's coming out of him. So they're just intentional to that point that I'm not going to lie to you, bro. The ending hit and I wasn't ready for it. I didn't know there was a third movie coming. I I went in there without this knowledge. I, I guess maybe I had it in my brain at one point, but I had forgotten it. So when it said to be continued, yo, bro, when's the last time you watched something that said to be continued? That's surprising to hear you say, man, because as tuned in as you are, I thought you'd remember back to the original trailers and news that this was Across the Spider-Verse Part 1, that Beyond was just originally Part 2. I completely forgot. I never even watched those trailers, to be honest with you. I saw like certain scenes, but I was like, I don't want to spoil it. Damn. Makes me wonder if if you're going to watch the trailers for the next movie. Uh, but while we're on the scene of the ending, you know, a fun fact is that for the character of Prowler Miles, they actually didn't use our regular Miles voice actor. They used a completely different actor named Jarrell Jerome, who is a Afro-Latino Dominican from the Bronx, you know, and it just shows how much love they put into this movie, because instead of just having my main man while he was already in the booth, just say, hey, yeah, let's do this. Now, nah, they got another dude for the 
two-line delivery just to emphasize that like he is a different person even though he is still Miles. He is a different person with a different experience. Yeah, man. I think I want to also talk about theories, things you got on your mind for what's to come. Like we talked earlier about, you know, the headphone scene, um, certain things that might come in the next film. I want to hear what your theories are and what you think they're going to do. One thing I have on mine is when it comes to the Prowler, we don't necessarily know if he's an antagonist. We don't necessarily know if he is just checking this out because it's weird and he thinks it could be a threat. We can't judge this guy with just because he looks different than the Miles that we've already seen. So that's a lane or an uh, angle that I've been seeing on the internet. And I kind of like that theory, bro. Hey, man, I think you actually might get that because... We know that the world is run by cartels, or at least New York is. And so who is the prowler in a world that is filled with crime? We know the spider was going to bite Miles, which means he must have goodness somewhere in his heart, because I'm pretty sure that's what these damn spiders senses. And so, like, what is he sensing? Good point. You know what? I think it's going to lead us into a really cool miscommunication scene with Miles and his Prowler self because in the first movie we know that Miles ties up Peter B. Parker to a punching bag and he's trying to interrogate him and everything and Peter B. is like the one thing you gotta do is not watch the mouth you gotta watch the hands and we see a little bit of a foreshadow here where it's like he's wiggling his finger on the chain and Prowler Miles is looking at him in his face so he might break out they might tussle a little bit, but then they might communicate with one another like, yo, this is what I'm trying to do. And if this Prowler Miles does have this goodness in his heart, and if Aaron has some goodness in his heart because we know that he loved his brother, then perhaps they can become allies instead of what we actually think is going to happen based on what the movie presented. Yeah, and it'd be cool to see that like defeating Spot is going to be dependent on Earth 42 Miles working together with the Anomaly Miles. That is our main Miles. Um if they write it out like that, I could see a lot of places for um, a massive conclusion. When we got these people coming to back him up with Gwen Stacy, that means the opposition could shift. I'm just excited for everything that could come, bro. They've set this up so they can't fail. There, there's no way they won't stick the landing, bro. I'm sorry. You know, now that I shared my fun prediction, let me share with you like a 10% chance what if prediction. What if they kill Rio? Miles and his mom had a lot of heart-to-heart conversations here. And what if something that this movie decides to do is flip the narrative and say, like, even when you're trying to change your destiny, it's going to even out somewhere. You know, I don't necessarily think it's going to happen, but I do think, hey, why not think about it just a little bit and say, hmm, what if they go that route? I hope they don't. I hope they don't. But if they do, that'd be understandable. I think whatever they end up doing, it's gonna, it's gonna, I think I trust them to create a more real and heavy and weighty and mature concept because they did that with Across the Spider Verse from Into the Spider Verse. So it'll be good no matter what. You know, and while we're talking about Rio and Miles' relationship, you know, a big part of this was like that counselor room. And, you know, I saw this online and I think it's a very interesting take. Like the counselor says to him, hey, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And Miles' response is like, unless you have two cakes. And so later on in the film, when he's writing the message to his pops on one cake and then he needs to get another cake because he overextended himself, like that's a representation of him attempting to be Spider-Man, 
while also not really being willing to lose or go through the things that Spider-Man has to do. And so when he's bringing those cakes back to his father's place and they're both messed up because he tried to balance both and they both got reckless, like that's what's happening inside of him. And like I said, like this is something that I didn't really even pick up on to the level of depth that I saw people doing it online. But I just think it's genius that it, like they're gonna physically showcase those two cakes being messed up like he could have had one perfect one but now they're both messed up because he tried to have two it's like thank you for putting that in front of me so literally i love it it's thematic it's metaphoric it's disgusting and at the end of the day this is what makes it stand out bro there's always something new to pick up as you go into this movie um i gotta see it for a third time i'm not surprised you saw it three times at all Hey, man, something to briefly tackle is, you know, the fact that this is a comic book film. And so we love our Easter eggs, man. So tell me, I know you have one because you texted to me. What was your favorite Easter egg in this movie? My favorite Easter egg was the all of it always all over the place. Uh, Everything everywhere all at once with the billboard. I just thought that was so great. Yeah, man. Isn't it just so weird how if I had a nickel for every time a multiverse movie had something to do with a bagel, I'd only have two nickels. But isn't it crazy how it happened twice? You know, like that's how I feel about that. It's great. My favorite Easter egg in the film had to be Donald Glover as the Prowler because Donald Glover is so intricate to both the character of Miles Morales on a creation level because he is a huge inspiration as to why that was a reality and on an MCU level because he's Aaron Davis in the MCU. And so like, we don't know if we're ever going to see him in that role. So this was like a little, Hey, here you go type deal. It was very cool to see that. It is definitely very cool. But something I think to also think about is do any of these cool Easter eggs make sense? Should we be taking them as serious as some people are, right? Like Insomniac, I mentioned earlier, is it canon to the games? Is it not? And then Lego, right? Number one, shout out to the animators for letting the 14-year-old kid do that Lego animation. Like, it's a great opportunity for him. But supposedly that universe is from the universe of all the Lego games. And to me, that doesn't make sense because then he'd be like a really crazy Spider-Man who knows how to deal with like everything. Like, I don't know. I don't know what we take serious and what we do not take serious from this. Is there any other Easter egg that you want to discuss? Because there's a lot of them. Now, one of my favorite Easter eggs is when Miles is climbing into his dorm room and Genki's laying there playing Spider-Man. And what's wild is you can see it and the way the art style is pixelated, you still see the movement in 60 FPS as well there. So I just love that. Facts, bro. But you see what I mean? Like, he's playing Spider-Man too, but that same Spider-Man was chilling with Peter. So, like, what's the canon there? I don't know. It's the same concept that we're experiencing watching it on the movie. Man, are you referring to the whole Earth 1218 thing where we're physically incapable of being superheroes but still exist in the Marvel Universe? You know? I, I mean, sure, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. That 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 works. But overall, this movie was special, man. This movie was special. To wrap it up, man, like it, it was just a glorious time. It felt like a love letter to Spider-Man fans and maybe even comic book fans in general. It's a love letter, man. This movie is an animator's love letter. It's a Spider-Man love letter. It's a it's just a human story. 
um, at the core of some awesome animation, awesome superhero moments, awesome character development, um, and awesome soundtrack, man. It just was great. Uh, and of course, acting, of course, of course. Um, I give this film a 10 out of 10, man. I, um, I don't have any points that are really crazy. One big thing I've been seeing a lot of people say is that pacing on the conclusion. Some people just felt like it was, it was a little abrupt. Um, I could understand that, but at the same time, I think watching that, watching the movie more than once might alleviate that issue. Um, because there's just so much to unpack. Like we talked about tonight, any final statements for you, Willie? Hey man, look, I give this movie a 9.99999, as many nines as you want to throw on there, right? And I think it's because of the trailer. I'm going to be honest, you know, shout outs to our trailers episode where we talk about this. Like the second half of the movie, although we didn't know why they were chasing him, we knew that a building full of people were going to chase Miles. And so when the time came, I was just kind of like, here's what I knew was going to happen. You know, and I think sometimes films build up to that really well where it doesn't matter and sometimes they don't. And I just kind of feel like this was just somewhere in the middle where I was like, oh, I like why they're doing it. But I also don't feel like, oh, no, what's going to happen? Like, I was like, yo, we saw in the trailer everything up to him. Even now nah, I'm going to do my own thing and standing there and all that. Like, we knew he was going to get away. And yeah, people could say, yeah, but you could know that anyway from just simple storytelling. And that's true. I just don't know if maybe the trailer threw me off a little bit, but that, that's all I really have to say is it is whew, 10 out of 10. Like when I write it down, it's going to be a 10 out of 10. But when I tell people, it's like a nine, 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 nine. Look, bro. After I left the theater, every black friend I have, I hit up and I said, you need to go see this movie. All my Latino friends, they, they, they also have heard they need to go see this movie. They just represented culture well. They represented the culture of Spider-Man well. They represented the culture of superhero films and animation and fighting and combat well. They just they they just did it all. So if you haven't seen it yet, you're an idiot for listening to this whole thing. We just spoiled it for you. But if you have seen it, then you know what we're talking about. This joint is Jeremy John's awesome tacular, like top to bottom. Um Highly recommend, can't wait for the third. Um, and we're so glad we got the opportunity to talk about this movie with you for a bit. Um, and so we're so thankful that you take the time to listen. Uh, we're just two geeks that are just talking through real time how we feel about pieces of entertainment. Um, make sure to follow us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to us on Linktree so you don't miss any episodes. Speaking of missing one, you're not gonna wanna miss next week's conversation as we jump into Star Wars Jedi Survivor, uh, the sequel to Fallen Order, game that has also taken gaming by storm. We jumped in a lot on gaming this June, uh, and we're excited about it. And you should continue to listen in to Cuzzle Wop, where you know you're always going to find two cousins, one podcast, endless entertainment. Thanks. <laughs>